Good morning. It is good to be together. It's good to look out. I see we've got many that are visiting with us, and we are glad you are here. I see a special visitor, Blake in Brooklyn, our friends of mine. I, uh, I actually conducted their wedding however long ago it was, but uh, super excited for them, and they've got an expected one with them, as well as Aunt Myrnie, and so our family's excited for that. Um, as we begin today, it is always a blessing to be together. You know, the greatest blessing afforded the Christian is the opportunity that each week we get to get, come together with a like mind and we get to remember the great sacrifice that was given on our behalf. As we come together today, this is going to be the first Sunday that we go back to passing the plate. We'll pass the unleavened bread, we'll pass the the fruit of the vine, now it's not that we haven't communed, we've, during this time period, we've had the little packets that you've carried, and it could be that you picked up one as you came in today. It's something we've done for going on two years, it's been quite a while. And as we think of that, today is going the first day as we come back and we're going to uh, have it passed out, you know, there are many thoughts that rush into your mind or come to your head. And because of that, I thought, you know, what better day to go ahead and take time to talk about the Lord's Supper, the communion, the passing of plates, the time that we spend together. You know, each of us can have an opinion on what we like or what we don't like. And it's excellent to know that I believe the elders have in mind trying to please everyone. So, if you chose to grab it on the way in, that option will still be here. If you miss the old way and you prefer to remember as they pass the plate, you'll have that opportunity. But I think the most important fact is that we do it in a way in which Christ would be glorified. In which Christ would be honored. And I think that is absolutely the significance Today, Now today we are going to look at the Bible pattern, we'll look at the origination, we'll look at uh, also some of the practices of it, but as we go through our lesson today we're going to go back, we'll look at the record, we'll understand the reason for what we do and why we do it. Now I will say as we begin, if I was to air out of my opinion, one of the things I look forward to the most is that as we partake of the bread today... It will be bread that was, I'll say baked, by one of our own. Uh, you won't have to wonder if it's truly styrofoam if you choose to partake of the one that's passed around because you will know. <laughs> You're supposed to know the other one too. However, I question it when I eat it. But you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this bread <laughs> is bread. We can go back and ask our member who, cre who, who baked it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that it's not bread. So if, if that's what you took out of it, I'm just saying it tastes funny. All right. Now, as we come together and we partake of the emblems today, I want to take just one second to point out the great sacrifice of Herman and Annette in years in the past. I know that uh, since I've been here, all the times that the plate was put out, 
you can guarantee that Herman and Annette were behind it. If you chose to show up to service 30 minutes early, you were still late because they were here preparing and making sure that it was going to go off without a hitch. And for all those years of service, I want to say thank you to Herman and Annette and the great example that they've been. Could be in the future that you'll have the opportunity to help with baking the bread. Or it could be that in the future you have the opportunity to help with filling the cups. Or passing the plate. Or cleaning up afterwards. And as we come together for this occasion, understand that the Lord's Supper is one of the most sacred things that we have the opportunity to do. Now I'm not saying that that makes it greater than giving, nor am I saying it makes it greater than a lesson or singing to God. But I will tell you as we partake of the Lord's Supper, there is an exact time for it to take place. I think prayer as an act of worship is something that should happen regularly. I think prayer is an active part of your life daily, continually, without ceasing. Think when you talk about singing, singing and making a joyful noise to the Lord, it's part of life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You were so full of Christ that it's like a song was ready to pop out. You look at the study of God's word, it's something that happens on a regular basis, or at least it ought. Study to show yourself approved unto God. But there's two things that were pointed out as taking place on the first day of the week. And I think if you give to a poor person on Thursday, I still think it's giving to the Lord. If you help someone that's in need on a day other than Sunday, I still believe you're giving to the Lord. If you give of your time on Monday evening to serve in... Monday night for the Master, I believe it's still giving. And don't take that to mean that you can't serve on Tuesday night or Monday morning. That is absolutely not my, uh, not my intention. But I will tell you this, within the Lord's Supper, we have an exact occasion for when it's to take place. And as we go through our, our lesson today, we will notice first the church is the observer. Or first that Jesus was the institutor of it. Next we'll notice that the church is the observer. And then finally we'll notice that the first day of the week is the exact occasion. All right. As we come together, no matter how the passing out takes place, we want to remember that the emblems have great significance. We want to remember that the most significant fact is that we focus and we center our minds on Christ. Let's go ahead and begin in Matthew chapter 26. I hope you have your Bibles open there because we will spend plenty of time looking back at it. Matthew chapter 26. Notice first, within the Lord's Supper, Jesus the institutor. 
Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 6, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. There's a pause that's taken. You know, this is just a normal Passover meal. It's a meal that would have been observed by the Jews each time it comes around. But on this exact occasion, as they sit down there, they're eating. You'll notice the meal's already taking place. We see somewhat of a pause in verse 26 where it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread. Something about as they were, they were eating, it, there's a pause where he blessed it. You know, when we talk about blessing the bread, you know, I think sometimes we might be confused as, uh, as I think to the prayers that I've, that I've heard. When he blessed it, there are some in the religious world that have believed that it makes the bread into something else. You know, as we think about the bread in Luke chapter 22 and the example in verse 19 and 20, there when he talks about the taking of the bread, he says, and he gave thanks. Talking about the same bread, Jesus took it, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. Now, as you look at the blessed it, it's much like that of the word we use today, baptism. The bread was blessed or given thanks for in that it had a, a distinct purpose. Baptism has a distinct purpose. Maybe I'm going to change the word. Dunking has a distinct purpose. If you were to go to church camp with me when the boys get together and we go to the pool, I take the opportunity to dunk everybody that is smaller than me. Realistically, I dunk everybody that's bigger than me because by the time they get out of the youth group, generally uh, I don't have to worry about it. Jordan Sanders would be there to attest for you when he weighed 100 pounds more than me. He'd still go down. All right. A dunking, okay? Now there is nothing about that dunking that is significant, blessed, holy, sanctified. There is nothing about it that is special in the least because it wasn't purpose-filled. Okay. The bread that they were eating, it says in verse 26, and as they were eating. What do you mean, as they were eating? If you go back, you recognize that this was the feast of unleavened bread. It's not the first time they've ate bread. It's not the first time at this meal that they ate bread. Okay? It was significant because it was purpose-filled. Jesus, by design, prayed for this bread, giving thanks, signifying its purpose. When we bless or give thanks to God for the bread, it's not to change this bread in any way, but rather to signify its purpose. You can look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. 
In Luke 22 and verse 19, well, I'll go ahead and flip over there. Luke 22 and verse 19, we see that the, the mirroring example, it says, And he took bread and gave thanks. The same thing. The equal terms. Jesus gave thanks for it. He blessed it. You know, we might say, did you bless your food? It means, did you give thanks to God for it? It's not that the food becomes holy, but rather honor was given to the one through whom all blessings come. Notice in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now there is some teaching that goes around that says that, that this changed the bread from unleavened bread to the literal blood or literal body and later blood of Christ. This is absolutely incorrect. When we say it's an emblem, why is it an emblem? Because it's to honor his body. You know, Jesus also refers to himself in John chapter 51 as living bread. You know, you can go to John chapter 8 and Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. Or in John 10 and verse 9, he refers to himself as the door. That doesn't mean he turned into the door. That doesn't mean he turned into a physical path to walk on. But rather, it's significant. And then it shows the greatness of Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't change him from being Jesus. The bread didn't cease to be bread in verse 26. I believe it's more easily understood in verse 27 and verse 28 as he talks about the cup. You know, as we talk about this bread, leaven would not have been in the house. If you go back to Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, you begin in verse 18. Remember the Passover? It says, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. He says in verse 19, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your house, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off. From the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Well, why is it unleavened bread? Because that's how it started out. Because that's how Jesus intended it. Go back to the same passage in Matthew chapter 26. Fall back to verse 17. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 26, it says, Now on the first day... Of the feast of unleavened bread. What were they eating? Unleavened bread. What made this bread different in verse 26 than the bread that was eaten in the very, very beginning of Matthew chapter 26, verse 26a? Nothing. Except Christ blessed it. He prayed or gave thanks to God with a purpose. All right. Now, you can notice in verse 27 back in Exodus, it says on 
It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. It could be that as you partake of the Lord's Supper that you remember the great Passover that took place pointing to something far greater God took care of his people then, but God today takes care of us through the death of Jesus Christ. They were saved because they obeyed the commands and put the blood on the lintel. They did what God commanded today. We are saved through the blood of Christ if we do what God commanded. All right. Leaven wouldn't be part of it, and so therefore today we follow that pattern of unleavened bread as is drawn out in the New Testament. All of the participants were to partake of the contents. Notice Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27, it says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. All right, he gave it to the people and he says, Drink from it, all of you. You might have the, the old King James, Drink ye all of it. All of you people partake of the contents. The cup wasn't the significant part. What was the significant part? The piece that's found inside. The substance. Notice in verse 27, he says, He took the cup and gave it to them and gave it and said, Drink from it. Taste of it. Taste the emblem. Verse 28, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, Christ knew... Well, at this point, we have all the participants are partaking of the contents. You can look over at Mark chapter 14... And he says it just a hair differently. In verse 23, it says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Verse 24, he said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. You know, as we look at the the cup, Back in Matthew chapter 26, we see that he refers to it as the blood of the new covenant. It was shed for them. Notice that of the remission of sins. The blood was directly tied to the remission of sins. Much like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 where the death of Christ is directly tied... To the commands, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. When you look at the Lord's Supper, the blood was there and it is tied to their remission. Notice in verse 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine. Remember, I said that the body didn't become the literal body. The, the, the unleavened bread didn't turn into the, le- to the literal body of God, Christ. 
nor did the fruit of the vine turn into the literal blood of Christ. Notice in verse 27, he takes the cup and he gave thanks, or you might say he, he blessed it. And he gave it to him to drink. He calls it his blood. And verse 29 points out the absolute fact that there's no possible way it could be anything other than an emblem. Because what's he saying in verse 29? But I say to you, I will not drink of this... Listen. He doesn't say blood. He said, I will not drink of this... Fruit of the vine. What does it continue to exist as? Fruit of the vine. When we come together today, we partake of the unleavened bread as a memorial of the body that was hung, that was given on our behalf. We partake of the fruit of the vine as a memorial remembering that the blood was shed, listen, for remission of sins and I'd like to draw out one last point before we leave Matthew chapter 26 this, this uh, particular passage at this occasion Christ knew the time of my death is very very near notice in verse 29 he says but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He said, this is my last feast of unleavened bread. You know, if you go over and look at John chapter 13, it might be that it's just a little more direct on how close his time is. John chapter 13, it says... Verse 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew he was at the end. Death is knocking at the door. His hour had come that he should depart from this world of the Father. He said, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then we see Jesus institutes this special occasion. Jesus was the institutor. Jesus is the one that started it. And that makes it supremely holy. We see that Jesus is the institutor, but I also want you to notice that the church is the observer. We've got a job in it as well. The church is the observer. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to kind of camp out there as we look at this point. We'll look at a few different passages in 1 Corinthians 11. Christians have the opportunity to reflect on the cross in its observance. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As we come together on a holy occasion, we remember the death of Christ. And surely that means as we come together and we partake of the Lord's Supper, you almost have a tear fall from your eye. Knowing that sin separate us from God. 
And Christ draws us closer to God as the justifier. We remember the death that provided that opportunity. You know, not only do we see that we recognize the Lord's death, but in verse 27 and verse 28, there is some thought given to self. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I think it can start right now. Before we partake, we understand there's a purpose behind it. Now, I believe as you study 1 Corinthians 11, there's an issue at hand. You can go back in verses 17 through 22. We'll see that they come in and they try and gobble it all up before anybody else has, to, has the opportunity to eat. And as he talks about the Lord's Supper, the rich man was able to bring it enough and they were able to eat plenty and they try and gobble it up before the poor man has anything, possibly referring to that of a common meal. No doubt referring to that of a heart problem. But the issue at hand, as you go on and we drop down a little bit further, we know without a question they reflected on self. But the issue at hand, notice in verse 33 and verse 34 when he points back to it. When he points back to the occasion of the Lord's Supper. He says, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat... Now he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Wait for one another, but if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. It might be that when you taste that bread that was homemade for the first time, the unleavened bread, it might be that you want to stick your hand back in and take it all and gobble it up. He says, that's not how it works. He says, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Why? Because it's a memorial. The emblems are not there to get full. Okay? Now, there is no reason why if you went home and you decided, you know, today we're going to eat unleavened bread and uh, grape, grape juice for our, for our meal, there is nothing unholy about that. That's what's taking place in their day and time. They all come together and this is what they eat as their common meal during this feast. And Jesus sets it apart for something holy. It's not wrong to eat unleavened bread. I don't know why you'd eat it when you could eat leavened bread. But it's not wrong to eat unleavened bread, but there was a purpose behind it. You might really like crackers. I don't know. All right. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. He says, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He said, as they come together, it's not just to get filled up. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not to filled up, get filled up. A lot of the meals that we eat in our life are going to be for the purpose of getting filled up to continue on with our day, to have sustenance, to uh, help us to continue with daily living. But if anyone is hungry, you know, if you're really in it for the food, wait until the amen and then rush to the Mexican restaurant, Right? He says, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Eat before. The Lord's Supper is not for getting full. All right. Christians didn't partake to get full, but rather, he says, lest they come together for judgment. I believe this is a reference back 
to verse 27 when they partake in an unworthy manner. You see their mindset behind it? They drank judgment unto themselves because they were trying to hoard it all. Because they were trying to, to take it all for themselves. And so as you get down, notice those who were converted, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, began to observe this feast. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, the first occasion where the church comes into existence following the the resurrection of Christ. They preach the sermon, they baptize uh, people into the body. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They made a lifestyle of it. It was part of what they did. So the question becomes if the church in its origination began to observe the breaking of bread, when did they do it? Let's notice the first, which is the occasion. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, we're going to reach back a little bit further. Before it comes into play in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, following the death of Jesus Christ, being buried in the tomb, verse 1 it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there is a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, became like dead men. Verse 5, it says, But the angel answered and said to the woman, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. On the first day of the week, we recognize that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As we come together and we remember the death of Christ, praise be to God for His resurrection. Jesus Christ arose. He beat death. Death didn't have hold on Him. And I think it's by no coincidence that following this occasion on the first day of the week that God set aside the first as the day of significance. You go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It begins now on the first day of of the week. Well, what took place? Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, it says Paul, ready to depart on the next day, spoke to them, continued his message until midnight. The first day of the week. I want you to draw back, go back a little bit further in verse 6, but we sailed away. From Philippi, after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas. Look, where we stayed seven days. What's that mean? Paul was bored, didn't have anything to do, nowhere to go, no occasion to catch up to it the next one. 
He waited for seven days. And then he points out in verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Notice, to break bread. I'm not saying that Christians don't get together on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Man, I pray we get together every day. But notice when they came together to break for the purpose of breaking bread, when did they do it? On the first day of the week. You think Paul was just that bored that he said, well, I'm going to wait around seven days. No, there was significance in the day. They waited because they didn't say, oh, look, Paul's in town. Everybody come up here on Monday. Paul got here. We're going to, we're going to go ahead and break bread tonight. They didn't do that. Is that just because Paul didn't have anything else to do? Absolutely not. But Jesus Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week. And so therefore, they observed the partaking of the Lord's Supper, the communion. Communing together with Christ on the first day of the week. You know, this really isn't much for people to understand when you get into the uh, average religious world. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, where they give a command now concerning collection for the saints as I've given the order of the churches of Galatia. He said, so you must also do on the first day of the week in verse 2, let each one of you lay aside something in store. Nobody has a problem giving back every first day of the week, but there's many that have questions in regards to partaking of the Lord's Supper. To partake of the Lord's Supper on a day other than the first day of the week would be take all the relevance from Paul staying. And it would take all the authority from verse 7 where on the first day of the week, that's when the church, the disciples, took bread. The question might come up, which first day of the week? The only answer I got is the first day of the week. How many weeks you got? Well, if you live through a million weeks, and I assume there's a million first days. If you live through 5,000 first weeks, then I assume there's 5,000 first days. Wouldn't be an issue if we were understanding it that our boss told us, you know, on the last day of the week, you're going to be off work. Which last day of the week? You mean this week or next week? That boss might change his mind and say, nah, Christmas week. I want to point out one last thing before we give up on the Lord's Supper. You know, there's a lot of people that hold occasions as special. We can talk about Christmas. Oh, what a great day. I don't know why. We can talk about Easter. Oh, what a great day. But let me tell you, the Lord instituted one day, one day to take your time out to remember the death and resurrection. And he calls it the first day of the week. There is one day that is very holy. And it comes all year long. We call it the first day of the week. I want to ask you today, if you haven't given your life to Christ, 
Why not? Do you understand in Matthew chapter 26 when he references his blood, he says that blood is tied to the remission of sins. It is nowhere else. You will not find remission of sins outside of the blood of Christ. And so therefore you need to be in Christ. As you look at the, the scriptures, there's no doubt a reason to put our faith in Christ. You know, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 points to God's Word gives us the ability to put our faith in Him. Through the study of it, we recognize Jesus is the Christ. No doubt we'll have the desire to repent. Say, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Understanding that I'm not going to partake in the pleasures of the world because I've got a greater purpose. I'm aiming for Christ. We'll say, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all of my heart. And I plan to follow Him. I will serve no other master. No doubt in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when he ties remission of sins together, he tells them, repent and be baptized. Repentance is important. Baptism is important. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Who? Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, he says, for the remission of of your sins. He says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't given your life to Christ today, I tell you, you're missing out. You're missing out on the blood that was shed so that you could have remission of sins. And it's time to make a change. Come now as we stand and sing.